Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. I'm Nathan Schiller. And I'm Jamie Chen. Hi, I'm Ines Obea, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Peyton Thomas. Peyton is a PhD student in marine biology at UNC Wilmington. And between teaching and her science experiments, she's somehow found time to run in the Olympic marathon trials at Atlanta. It's just a small accomplishment. <laughs> marine biology. That's fascinating. And it's a non-traditional course of study. Women of color in STEM are few. According to my knowledge, um, less than 2% of the marine biologist studies are black women. Why do you think that is, Peyton? I guess initially it's just to say at least where I came from, you know, I didn't grow up on the coast at all. I lived in the middle of Atlanta. Um, and yeah, it was just getting access to um, those coastal environments was not really um, a thing that I had ever experienced before. And so I know that that experience is pretty different for a lot of people of color. And um, even in coastal communities where there are larger um, minority groups, that same, there's not a similar connection um, with the water that you can, you know, just appreciate it for what it is when most of the time you are just working constantly and not really like forging this deep connection or like a broader understanding of what is going on in your environment. Um, and also just in general in science and academia, um, <laughs> there's a lot of racism. <laughs> um, it's pretty horrible and uh, it's kind of coming to light a lot now actually. Um, and at least from what I've seen with and heard from other women of color in academia at least, um, a lot of these um, racial experiences have really barred a lot of people from wanting to stay in science and stay in academia. Um, and have you have you experienced anything like that as you go farther, like not just in your studies, but also as I think you're also like a teaching assistant and like what are the things that you want to do and then your professional goals? Have you already experienced things like that? So I haven't experienced it in the form of like advisors or professors or anything um, being a racist or um, any sort of microaggressions. I have experienced it with several students that I've had and that's been something tricky to handle <laughs> um, and deal with. Um, but like, yeah. Can you give an example, like what, like what, like because you were the teacher and they were the student? Yeah, um, there have been difficulties with students where they may not see me as an authority figure. And so um, it's just like a lot of disrespect in comparison to, you know, a white male counterpart. I experienced that within my first year as a graduate student and teaching assistant um, and, you know, teaching the same course and, yeah, just a student completely disrespecting me um, compared to one of my uh, other cohort members. So how do you handle 
a situation like that? It's difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of times for me, at least, I tend to just go the route of like being very polite and kind of just shoving it off like I didn't yeah. like that situation never happened and not that that is the correct way to do things because that's kind of like how um, women of color and just people of color in general have had to live their lives is just kind of you know be the polite person and to like not acknowledge that that actually happened because because then they get it's it's like like, Boston how do you continually just deal with that and just shrug it off um I don't know (laughs) honestly you're tough you're tough that's tough skin it's well I mean it's difficult because I'm also in majority white spaces so it's not like if I did go to someone about this, it's not like a lot of people would really understand the same experience. And, you know, I could report it and I have reported um, a situation similar, but it never made it mm. the chain or anything. It's not like it's anything related to, you know, Title IX issues where it's like sexual assault. There's no sort of guideline for how to deal with um, racial issues in um, universities or any sort of institution like that, especially where I am. And I think that that is something that um, my university is currently working on. Um, But yeah, it's, there's no sort of like way to really deal with it besides um, me maybe talking to someone that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, But even still, like I'm only, at least in my graduate program here, my friend Bryce is the only other black woman, black person came into UNCW last year. And like, since I've been here, I've been here for three years. Um, yeah, she's the only other uh, black person that I have like been super close with here. Um, and so like, until she came, I didn't really have anyone to talk to about these specific issues um, and like really delve into them um, and like hear affirmation that I'm not like crazy or I'm not just like that this is um blown out of proportion or anything like that so well that's a a great way for us to get started because you talked about access and microaggressions and you know being like a person of color in a very white space and the resources that you might have or you that you won't have and if how to look for support when the people that you're looking for support would not necessarily understand because they've never lived that moment. But on a more positive note, you are now in the record books and the history books because when you finish uh, with the time of 2.42.54 at the Olympic trials, you joined the list of African-American women who have run a sub three hour marathon. So how do you feel about officially being in the history books? Again, in a very space that's very white dominated and here you are officially in the record books. Um, It's pretty exciting and also just really weird because I I don't know. (laughs) I feel like awkward because I can't understand the, I mean, I understand the gravity of it, but it just hasn't really hit me yet. And I think it's difficult too, because um, like, yeah, it's an amazing feat. 
And I realized that, but at the same time, it's like, man, where is everyone else? Like, why, why? (laughs) Um, Because I don't know, when I was growing up, at least, like I was always looking to um, African runners uh, and those longer distance runners. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like they are so fast and then never really seeing it a lot here in the U.S. And um, yeah, it's just been like kind of uh, something that I've (laughs) just never really fully understood why you know we're not up there in the top um and so like while on the one hand I'm like excited that I am in um the top five uh fastest uh african-american marathoners like man there should be so many more um and hopefully I can you know keep lowering my time to be even faster but also like really be among you know, the best of the best in the U.S. So knowing that, uh, what was the experience like for you? Because I'm guessing like, even before you started, you kind of already knew this kind of history, maybe a little bit. And then just being there in a sea once again of like, white faces, like how come all these white women are able to make it? And then you were one of like, so few, like you were saying, like, why aren't there more of us? Like, what was the experience like for you? Even just leading up to like the trials? Yeah, so I guess I never, I already, well, I had always kind of assumed that um, there had been more uh, Black women marathoners uh, than there actually were. And so I didn't realize the actual history behind it until um, Ted Corbett emailed me and he has this list that he's been well, creating. Gary Corbett. Um, yeah, sorry, Gary <laughs> Corbett, his father is Ted Corbett. Um, but uh, he created this list and like he reached out to me and I didn't realize that that it was like that small of a group of women. Like I just kind of assumed <laughs> that there had been more, but I'd never really seen other women that looked like me. But um, I was just like, oh yeah, there have to be more than me. Like I'm just not going to the right races or I, cause I don't race like that much. So I just kind of assumed that I'm just not, um, you know, in it I don't I try to I've been like so focused on science stuff that I kind of like bleeped out a lot of the running world for a while but yeah leading up to the trials it was kind of like this momentum builder of uh not just not only like internal pressure for myself just to perform but just like pressure and recognizing um who I am and like who I represent in the running world and um that all didn't really hit me totally until literally the night before the trials because there was this um group that was brought together um by the black running community in Atlanta um so it was it was actually a group that my cousin is a part of which I didn't realize either (laughs) but Um, But yeah, it was just this group that brought together all of the uh, Black runners that were going to race at the trials the next day and just like creating a little celebratory um, event for us prior to the the group. Sorry? What's the name of the group? Uh, It was called The Race. Okay. Um, Yeah, and they have an annual um, race (laughs) um, every year in October and they did a virtual one this year. 
Um, but yeah, it's just like celebrating black excellence and um, showcasing a lot of black businesses, showcasing the black running community um, and like just, you know, recognizing that we're here and we're expanding. Um, and so just meeting them and like seeing how much it meant for them that I was there was just insane and something that I had never really like thought about in that sort of way um and so yeah like the night before I was kind of freaking out because <laughs> I was like oh my gosh I didn't realize uh I also didn't look at I tend to not look at like rosters of people who are racing as well because it just freaks me out um and it's like not necessary <laughs> um, so I just didn't realize how little how few of us there were anyway so going to that event it was like oh they're only like six women um and yeah it was just it was insane um but yeah so leading up to the race it was kind of just like this momentum builder of me just kind of like realizing how insane this is um and then once I got to the trials like once I was actually there and in the race it was all just um like very clear and I think you see it it's, I think it's more prevalent in these longer distance races uh, where you see like the huge disparities in um, racial demographics. Uh, Cause like in a lot of shorter races that I've done, uh, I, I'm generally not the only black person at the race. Um, but whereas in this race, it's like extraordinarily different. Um, and you could definitely tell, but I, I don't know, the whole time I was running, I was just extremely proud. And I, when I was running also, cause I'm, since I'm from Atlanta, I had like family there and everything on the sidelines. My high school team was there. Um, and then the people that I met at the race that evening prior were there and they were like volunteering and they were all screaming my name. And it was just amazing to hear so many people that were there for me. And like, I'd never had that experience before. And then I didn't do what I wanted to do in the race. I ended up getting injured, but even like after the race, um, seeing everyone that I had met the night prior, they were all just like so proud of me and so excited still that I was just there and like in the race and it was amazing. And it just made me feel um, more full, like more full than I normally do after races. Um, yeah, cause I tend to be like pretty difficult, pretty hard on myself um, after races, but uh, having that experience and just like realizing how much that meant to other people was whoa well now you've made history in running i definitely see you as a role model um do you consider do you, do you consider yourself a role model for young black girls do you feel even more pressure um i don't know if i see myself as a role model and i feel like that's because i sometimes think of myself still as a child like I just don't I feel like I never know what I'm doing all the time but um, but I think I'm like uh, slowly coming to the realization that I could help people see um, their potential and um, like not live in a world where you have certain limits to yourself um, because that's something that I've had to deal with a lot where 
um, I've kind of like put myself into a box and be like, oh, you can only do this, this, and this, when in reality, that's completely not true. And um, some of that does have to deal with, you know, like seeing people who look like you or even just like um, seeing someone do something that you didn't even think was possible. Um, and yeah, so I guess, <laughs> I guess I may consider myself a role model, like when I do more things, I don't know. I feel like I haven't lived, lived up <laughs> yet. To well, you just, you just getting started in both running and science. So you're fine. Yeah. You have a long, a long career ahead of you in both ways. But what do you see that running can make strides no pun intended, and being more diverse. Yeah. So that's also something that I've tried to think about a lot. And um, that's a tough question because initially when I, initially when I think about running and like the general age that people start running, like I started running in high school and I feel like that's when I'll a lot of people usually start or like start to think about running and when I think about that then I think about okay um some high schools are more funded than other high schools and like it all depends on you know where you're going to school and at least living in Atlanta like you could clearly see schools that were that had more athletic programs and just generally had more access to different races um, or different uh, running gear places and um, and so when I think about that in respect to at least like long distance running um, when you're talking about like where I went to school which was like northern Atlanta it's a wealthier part of the city and it's more multicultural, but still majority white and gets a lot of funding and gets a lot of resources. And so like me joining that team, I had more access. I had more uh, resources at my disposal. I had, you know, parents that were paying, were like giving scholarships to students on the team um, versus if you would go to like an inner city school and they have, you know, maybe two or three athletic teams and no funding and there's no track coach or no running coach or anything like that. Um, I mean, obviously like that paints like a clear picture into when you're at least going to get, get your start in running at a competitive level at least. Um, and so that's initially what I think about uh, when I think about diversifying running and like who actually gets these resources, even if it's just like a coach or someone who is knowledgeable about running um, or athletics in general. Um, and then I guess when I think about it on like a community level, um, I get a bit stuck because for me, I'm like, man, Running is so great. Like I, regardless of where I grew up, um, I feel like I would eventually fallen into that role or eventually fallen into that place, but that's not necessarily true for everyone. And there are definitely situations where, or like places where you definitely wouldn't want to be out running and you may not feel comfortable running. And like, I have definitely felt that. Um, but you talking about running yours by yourself, 
as a woman and then as a black woman? Yeah, and um, well, yeah, mostly that. Um, just running as a woman and running as a black woman, but even just like the people that are in your running clubs or in whatever running clubs, like also who do those running clubs tailor to if there are clubs in your space? Because at least when I'm talking about Okay, I'll just talk about Wilmington, for example, because, you know, that's where I am. So the, the club that I am with, I, it's, so it's tailored towards people who have money, basically. <clears throat> and I am not a person with money um, because I am a graduate student and I make a very small amount of money basically doing that. But I got access to this club because of my prior running history. Whereas if I was any other person, I wouldn't have access to this running club um, because I just wouldn't be able to pay for it. Um, and the, I know that there are places like that. And for a lot of people, actually, in order, if you want to pursue competitive running, for example, um, you know, sometimes you have to pay for a running coach. And that's not necessarily accessible to everyone either. Um, and... And yeah, so, and when I think of like a running community, I think of people that I would feel comfortable, you know, sharing my full self with. And, um, and so it's like all of my uh, running groups that I've been with have been my close friends. Mm. And if I can't feel that with people or like feel comfortable with people, if you're in um, a certain area, then, you know, running is not going to be something that you would really want to do. Um, I don't think at least because I feel like a lot of people do running to be in to be in a community, um, not only just to, you know, experience a certain level of fitness or, you know, reach your next goal. Uh, it's kind of a community thing. And then, yeah, um, me running by myself as a black woman is not safe um, <laughs> in a lot of places. And I've definitely realized that like when I was younger, I was like, pretty naive honestly and I would just go run places wherever because I didn't care and and like nothing really bad ever happened to me but just running recently even within the past few years um has been I've had some like very tough experiences um where I have not been safe um and yeah and so in that way you know running can be really scary even just doing anything <laughs> When you mention that you haven't felt safe, you know, we know that um, stories that have made national news, like with Ahmad Arbery and um, have, uh, obviously you're, you know, here with us and you're talking about this sort of in a, you know, everything turned out well, but you mentioned that you have felt very unsafe before. Um, is there something like, have you or other women of color, you know, as runners really been in like very bad situations? So I haven't um, talked to a lot of other women of color about their own experiences uh, running in these spaces, but for me, I definitely have had a couple of situations where my life was threatened, and um, one was on a trail, actually, like, pretty recently um, in August, uh, when I was going all around North Carolina, um, running the trails. Um, and that was pretty scary, and <laughs> so um, that was the definite like details of what happened. Yeah, so I was so I was doing this um, like trail campaign for Protect Our Winters, where I was doing a 
um, a trail run and I went to uh, this really small town, but it was supposed to have a beautiful trail along the Roanoke River. Um, and so I went there at like, I got to the trail around like 7.30 in the morning. There were people um, on the outskirts of the trail, like fishing and, you know, walking around and stuff like that. And I'd never been to the area before, but I just went there and I had my, you know, I had my phone on me. I had my pepper spray on me. Um, I also have like a pocket knife that I carry around <laughs> all the time, not just to like shank people, but just because I, <laughs> I use it, <laughs> you know, for like, Things. You just you just said the word shank. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I I didn't even get like a mile into the trail, and this um, man came out out of nowhere because the trail kind of funneled in and was going along the river, but was going underneath a lot of uh, bridges and like pretty much um, you couldn't really see very much in front of you. So he just kind of popped out of nowhere um, and had, well, he looked like he had something behind his back and he made a racial slur and told me to get off the trail. And um, and I didn't know whether he did actually have something behind his back, but he was holding his hand behind his back. So I assumed that he did. Um, and so I <laughs> just like backed away and ran um, because I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to escalate the situation anymore um but what were you feeling what were you thinking about uh i was terrified and i was just thinking about oh i do this all the time where i just like go to different places and run and like not really i mean my boyfriend knew uh where i was running generally but in my mind i was just like if something happened to me i don't think anyone would know right away and that was terrifying and I was just like I don't know it was has that impacted like you going out on trails alone after that yeah um it definitely did and at least like in that immediate week it was really difficult because I was doing a different trail every day Mm. and so after that run that I was supposed to do. I was supposed to immediately go to the Outer Banks to do another run the next day. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, white supremacist action over in the Outer Banks as well. And so like being in that area <laughs> immediately after having that experience was not not good. And I just kind of had to like center myself and um, calm myself down a lot. And then, yeah, just uh, running on trails has been a bit difficult, which is really horrible because, you know, that takes away, like, I, running in trails is, like, the one of the biggest things that I love, um, and it takes away a lot from my experience um, to be able to, like, just consciously enjoy that space and, like, enjoy where I am because I have to worry about someone attacking me, um, which is not fair and (laughs) just not okay um and I don't want other people to have those experiences either and um so how did you mentally prepare to then run on a trail the next week as you said before that you wanted to run a different trail every week um that's a tough question because I I don't know honestly I think I just had to 
I think I just have to kind of have, you know, a short-term memory um, for situations like this um, and just kind of go with it. I obviously prepare myself every time where I, I mean, I always carry my phone and my pepper spray with me, but just even the fact that I have to do that is pretty frustrating. Um, but yeah, you kind of just have to put it in the back of your mind um, to even get out the door. And then maybe when you're out there, um, you know, be aware, but I just don't want anything to get in the way of me doing something that I do because I love it. Um, and so I just had to kind of, you know, remind myself that I'm doing this because I love it. And just because I had this one situation happen doesn't mean that that is, uh, going to, you know, happen every single time. So. It, and I have a question. Um, you mentioned that your parents were really supportive and that you looked up to a lot of African runners when you were young and we're talking about, you know, how you handle these um, really terrible situations as an, as an adult. And I'm wondering if you had role, a role model as a young runner, like when you were just starting to run or who represented some sort of crossover who, or maybe someone like a mentor that you think about in these sort of situations, someone who represented for you what you may represent, like you said, for a lot of young um, women and women of color specifically? I don't know if I really had a, I'm, I'm don't think I had a mentor, um, which is unfortunate, but um, I mean, I had really great running coaches, um, both white men, but they were both really wonderful and encouraging. Um, there was one runner who uh, I looked up to a lot, but it was just because I saw her at the Olympic trials and she it was Tiranesh Dababa she was like the first um runner that I just like I don't know fell in love with because uh, I saw her at the Olympic trials um on tv for the first time and just was obsessed because she was just so graceful and she just dominated everything and um that's kind of like who I was like man I should be like that but <laughs> But I don't know if, definitely not at that level, but she is wonderful. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, Ethiopian women in general. At strong. I have a question. At Baylor, you just ran like 10Ks. When did you transition into marathon? Um, I transitioned to the marathon last year. So I ran my first marathon um, in December. We did the same one, except you and... went way faster than me. See, I <laughs> I was in the See, back wave. <laughs> that was a really fun race. It was um, those it, rolling hills. Yeah. It was it was freaking me out in the beginning because uh well A it was my first marathon, but also because I was um because I wasn't seated or anything. Like I got in with my half marathon time, but I ended up getting kind of like pushed to the back of the top group of people that started first. Um, what was your half marathon time? Sorry? What was your half marathon time? Um, I got in that one at 115.24. Um, yeah, I, my coach like basically put it in my head that I was going to run at the Olympic trials like 
earlier in 2019. So I started out trying to get the half marathon time, which I knew was out of my sight because I have <laughs> never run a fast half marathon before. So that 115.24 is my fastest one. And hopefully I'll run a faster one this December. But um, but yeah, so that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, just seeing- a casual, oh, Just a casual 115. Well- <laughs> I mean, it's it's fast, but it's like, I don't know, you should see everyone that made the Olympic trials with the half marathon. They are all insane um, and just like <laughs> absolutely awesome. So, but yeah. can we, uh, I just want to talk about your hair for a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the fact that your hair is natural and then <laughs> in every space that you go, you are challenging the stereotypes of what, what, what a runner should look like, what black hair should look like whether it's like in running and in science you know whereas like if you were to have like braids in your hair it would be considered like oh wow her hair is like she has like an ethnic hairstyle it's not very professional <laughs> but like if a woman shows up a white woman shows up like with braids in her hair it's like oh my gosh she's so cool and urban like yeah how do you feel about that and did you is that something that you think about every time you step into like a room whether you're teaching whether you are running yeah, so um, my hair is definitely something that I've grappled with <laughs> like for a majority of my life. Um, and yeah, I was kind of ingrained with that uh, growing up where, I mean, yeah, I've always been in a majority white space. And so like having my natural hair out um, for a lot of my life, just like wasn't really a thing. It, I was always kind of, you know, pressured to straighten my hair and make it look neat. And people would always tell me that I look better with straight hair. And I was like, do you even understand how long it takes to get straight hair? <laughs> do you understand how long it takes to like maintain this? And because, and the whole point of that is, is like, it's just not natural. Like I'm not meant to have that and I'm totally okay with it. And like, in science, I never really, I mean, I would always wear my hair back um, a lot when it was longer because I just, you know, didn't really want to deal with it. I have a lot of other things going on. Um, and so like for running at least, um, it was never really an issue because I always just had it back. And then in science and a lot of scientific spaces, even when it was back, you know, it was still considered professional because it's just in a bun and like no one sees anything like really crazy with it um but when I started wearing my hair out natural um I actually found like and it was surprising um I actually found a lot of like positive uh comments about it and people really embracing it and I think that was kind of you know just with sort of changing times even though a lot of <laughs> things haven't really changed for um a lot of people in scientific spaces I think I've just gotten lucky um where yeah I've fully embraced it in the running world and um don't look back well uh, I, I mean in academia uh is your PhD program diverse do, are there other black women or is just you? <laughs> so myself and my friend Bryce are the only black women. And yeah, so that's been, I mean, I haven't gotten any like 
weird comments or anything or anyone saying yeah i was just gonna ask about comments do they ask like oh what school did you go to or like (laughs) you speak so well you know what i'm saying like i have definitely gotten you speak so well but it hasn't been in my graduate program i got it um quite a bit at my undergraduate um program and yeah so that's another thing but yeah in terms of um yeah, my graduate program is not diverse. It's majority white people. And like, I do get comments where like, if I pull my hair back in a bun, I, I just cut my hair a little bit. So I can't pull it back now. But <laughs> but it's just like, every time I pull my hair back in a bun, because I don't feel like washing it that day, people are like, wow, your hair looks amazing. And I'm like, literally, all I did was put it back in a bun. <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> what is so different. Like, I just don't understand. Uh, yeah. So me pulling it back is just it looking better. I don't get yeah, that. But. I guess, like, it's also, like, the, I don't know, the expectations that people have of, like, what Black hair should look like. And then when you just do it the way you want, they're just, like, not used to seeing it. And, like, oh, yeah. like, because it's funny, like, when we were, like, prepping for this show and then we are talking about, like, different, like, the hair process and I mentioned like, you know, people eventually get weaves, you know, and I asked Nathan, I was like, do you know what a weave is? And he said. <laughs> Absolutely, I know what a weave is. We went down a rabbit hole when we were talking about hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, do, do share the story, like, how, why do you know what a weave is, Nathan? Um, because I went to uh, all public schools in the middle of a city and had black classmates and black friends and you know tried to have an interest in cultures beyond my own and um i remember you know girls on the school bus doing each other's hair talking about each other's hair i I mentioned this but i um i remember a fight in high school between two black girls where they pulled out some weave and it was sitting in the hallway for a very long period of time <laughs> that reminds me of my high school <laughs> uh, so you know i absolutely know what a weave is and um doesn't mean i know everything about about black hair but we've uh it, it was a great story like just to know that even for you that like you your your upbringing was diverse enough that the conversation of like a weave like you know, came into the mix. And I have to tell you, when I was talking with my wife, who, uh, you know, grew up in New York City and also had a public school upbringing, she was like, why did they think you didn't know what weave was? Everyone knows what weave is. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Because I think I've noticed, I've noticed, like, when, like, when white actresses, like, added to their hair, it's like, oh, look, her hair is longer. She added these extensions. Whereas like when it's done to like black hair, it's like, oh, she's trying to have that look, you know what I mean? The yeah. white actress look in her hair to make her more marketable. So I think. <gasps> that reminds me, my world was dropped when I found out Kamora Lee Simmons wears weave. And I was trying to grow my hair really long for a year <laughs> saying I was channeling my inner Kimora. And I said, I want to get my hair like that. They said, Jamie, you know, she wears weave. And I was like, no way. <laughs> I gave that up and cut my hair. Yeah. Yeah, but it just like we were saying, like it just falls into the whole like 
the Eurocentric and like Afrocentric like standards of beauty. Um, so that's why this whole like hair conversation and becomes a thing and like representation, like in running magazines, academia for you, like professional world for us and yeah. you know, wherever else that you go as as a person of color, you're like your judge from on that, basically. Yeah. And I know that my experiences have been uh, different from like my friend Bryce's because you know she she wears a wig um, all the time and so like she's gotten comments on her wig and just had extremely different experiences and had to like explain to people why she wears a wig which is something that you shouldn't even have to explain to a person like people should just be able to accept that like mm -hmm. that's the way that you want to present yourself and that's the way that you want your hair to be um because yeah I mean it's just self-expression and what you want to do with your own body um well, Peyton, you've expressed yourself a lot actually in climate change I saw some videos of you uh you know advocating for it um at short clips and tying it to political you know causes um I'm wondering what's uh, drew you to climate change uh, aside from obviously your work I imagine it's connected but and do you also see any connection with it to your running yeah um so I really started getting involved with um environmental issues when I was in high school and kind of have always been uh pretty fervent on that on a lot of those uh issues and um climate change is the biggest issue of my generation and the generations below me um, because the impacts will be felt the most by us and we're going to be the ones that have to you know clean up the messes of <laughs> other people um, who are much older and yeah so I kind of you know realized that pretty early on and wanted to do something that would change our trajectory or like influence people to better understand how climate change works and how climate change impacts people's lives. Um, and, you know, people are already feeling the effects of climate change um, and they have been for decades, especially in these frontline communities. Um, so we talk about, you know, like frontline communities in terms of, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic and everything, but there are these huge frontline communities that have been this way for decades, not only in the US, but in other countries. And I feel like a lot of the focus um, or a lot of the narrative in the US has really been focused on other countries, like, oh, it's another country's problem, when actually it's not another country's problem because our country is producing, uh, we're like in the top three for the um, most fossil fuel production. Um, and we know that that obviously heavily contributes to climate change, um, but we are not doing anything on the scale of other countries to be able to combat our emissions and reduce that. And we have huge networks of frontline communities in our own country that like we can't even grapple with and address. Um, and it's scary like seeing this disconnect um, between our government and ourselves like as a population you know just not being really aware of um, things that are going on with uh, other people and not caring about certain communities and I feel like um, so I was pretty young like when Katrina happened um, mm. but you know that was 
a huge hurricane, a huge disaster that really, I think, you know, woke up a lot of people to uh, potential impacts of climate change and the fact that, um, so we had sort of a huge mobilization around that community. But now, even when that same area has been hit by how many hurricanes have there been this year? Um, I don't know. There were, so many that we already were in the Greek alphabet. That's how yeah, many exactly. Yeah. And a majority of those were in the Gulf Coast and a majority of those were hitting that same area all along the Gulf Coast, all of those communities. And it's like you only hear about it for a week and then you forget about it. And a lot um, of those people in the Gulf Coast, I heard, are clients, climate science deniers. Yeah. And isn't that insane? <laughs> um, but there are like, so, and so that's where like a lot of the work comes in where you're trying to connect a lot of these larger climatic issues to the issues that these frontline communities are facing, because if they stay there, they are the ones that are going to continue to feel the brunt of the climate change effects. And like myself on the coast, I have been here for three years and I've been in two major hurricanes um, and prior to that there hadn't been a major hurricane for like two other years but there were two major ones back to back um, and it's been pretty horrible and it's it ravaged Hurricane Florence um, not only ravaged Wilmington but it ravaged the entire North Carolina coast um, and people are still experiencing those impacts. Um, and so, yeah, just like making these connections between these larger issues with the way that people live their day-to-day -day lives is something that I'd really like to keep continuing to pursue. Um, and yeah, my focus in climate change has really been on my research in relation to um, fish physiology and like adaptation to certain environmental stressors. So I'm dealing with um, elevated temperatures and also low oxygen conditions, um, which will become more prevalent with elevated temperatures. Um, and then all of our pollution effects and a, a lot of things. <laughs> there are a lot of problems I can so, go on a rabbit hole about, but. In addition um, to you supporting climate change and the discussion of it, you recently were part of Women Run the Vote the relay uh, to get people to just be more civic-minded and like exercise their right. Why was that important to you given the election that is going to happen pretty soon? Yeah, so that was extremely important to me because it hits on so many realms of my life. I mean, not only does it affect me as, well, people exercising their civic duty specifically for this election because a, because I am a scientist and because I do understand the impacts of climate change and there is a clear distinction between the candidates and who believes in climate change and has a plan for it and the other one who does not have a plan for it and doesn't even acknowledge that it's a thing. Um, amidst a lot of people suffering from the impacts of climate change currently um, that directly impacts influences me and makes me want to you know get the message out to people that you know you should pay attention to the people that you are voting for um but also because the women run the vote race was focused on uh, the black voters matter movement um this organization this huge organization um, that was started by latasha brown 
Um, and yeah, just trying to mobilize black communities that have historically been suppressed um, by state governments, local governments, just the Your governor. I mean, what happened with Stacey Abrams? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, I was my heart. My heart went to Atlanta, uh, to yeah. Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Georgia is a mess <laughs> so, right and but your state is a pivotal state yeah you know, it can swing the vote yeah um yeah and like even in north carolina where because georgia's where i grew up but like i'm in north carolina right now too and north carolina is a huge swing state too and we're dealing with um major candidates that are uh could make or break you know the future of north carolina and um it's just uh, crazy. And North Carolina is also heavily polarized. And um, it is where a lot of um, white nationalist rallies are going on. And um, it's a pretty scary place to be, honestly, in certain parts. Um, and, so, and so that Women Run the Vote event was also just really important for me because of that um, because of the tie to the Black Voters Matter movement and also just recognizing the disparities of um, not only women of color, but you know, trans women um, and Black trans women. So it's just highlighting like a lot of people's identities and the importance to um, elevate these people and these communities um, and make sure that everyone has a voice uh, and support all of these movements all in one. So it was a great event. You know, Pin, you've um, spoken so well and uh, with so much length about all these issues. And you may think the podcast is over, but actually you have two minutes now of uninterrupted time for our hot mic session to say whatever you want. So do you want to take us home? It doesn't have to be about running. It could be a pitch about more women in science, the impact of climate change, um, hair or more um, running natural hair put down the hot comb <laughs> <laughs> um yeah oh my gosh what am I going to talk about who has a timer should we let her know because she's obviously a really fast runner so she's, she's going to just run through this real quick <laughs> I got it I got the stopwatch three two one Okay, I guess I'll start with talking about uh, climate change and running. Um, so that's something that I've um, most recently gotten into the realm of with Protect Our Winters. And we're not only focused on climate change impacts on running, but climate change impacts on um, sports and outdoor recreation in general and how people enjoy their spaces. Um, and so we've well we've seen it specifically with you know the wildfires on the west coast in terms of how that's just completely devastated a lot of people's lives in general but even if you're talking to people in the athletic realm um, people weren't able to go outside for a month without having smoke at their front door and uh, people's homes were devastated and um, so like that's just a major climate change impact that has directly affected people that you can see clear as day and you may not see it 
in or across the entire state, but it hits in certain pockets of only our state or only certain states. <clears throat> and then uh, when you go on the flip side and you're talking about hurricanes and running in terms of climate change impacts, me specifically, I didn't, or when Hurricane Florence hit, I didn't get to go run in my favorite spaces for a couple of months because of not only flooded trails, flooded roads, downed debris, um, and downed power lines, a lot of things were inaccessible. And me running was kind of like a trivial <laughs> or a trivial thing compared to things that other people were dealing with. Like they couldn't get out of their houses because their houses were completely flooded. The Cajun army had to come er, um, and go rescue people on their own houseboats. And um, yeah, just like insane impacts that we see in certain blips of time, but that will become more prevalent um, with these increasing climate change impacts. Um, and am I done? <laughs> that it? Two minutes goes fast when you're not, whether you're running or you're, you know, giving us <laughs> yeah. a, a climate change speech, but no, keep going. Of course, that was just a signal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, um, but all of that is just to say that um, there are a lot of impacts that, you know, you can think of and that you may not be able to think of in terms of um, climate change effects on your daily life. And if you going and enjoying it, the outdoors is something that is a part of the a part of your way of life and, um, and you care about that a lot, then you should care about the impacts of climate change and you should push for people who are going to put forward the policies that um, will change our trajectory, not only as a country, but change our trajectory as a globe, because a lot of other countries look to the U.S. for, um, for guidance, and we are currently not being very great guides <laughs> to how to lead your own country um, and towards how to be stewards of our own planet um, and how to live our lives. Uh, and if we want to be called this great country, then we need to be able to do that. And we need to be able to lead people the correct way um, and not dig ourselves into a further hole. Um, and it's not that we don't have the technology to be able to do any of these. We do have the technology. It's just that there are these systematic structures in place that are preventing us from doing that. Um, and so one of those things is subsidies to fossil fuels. And so one way that, or it's like actually one major way that we could actually increase the potential of our renewable energy technology is by breaking down those subsidies for fossil fuel industries um, and increasing that cost and lowering, it will in fact lower the cost of renewable energies. So. <laughs> say more but I don't no but wait did you say like the Cajun army yeah Cajun came to rescue people yeah I know right what is yeah. that and maybe called the Cajun navy it's either Cajun army or Cajun navy but it's basically like um normal everyday citizens would go and rescue people on their own boats um, because people, like, it was far beyond the capacity of um, emergency workers and rescue people to get to uh, people that were in really isolated locations. Um, and this happens here, uh, or it's happened here, like, for the past two major hurricanes, but it happens a ton down in the Gulf Coast, which is why it's called the Cajun army or Cajun Navy, because it originated, like, in Louisiana, people doing this. But yeah, it's just 
normal everyday citizens trying to help out other people and help people get to safety, which is really wholesome and wonderful. And like, honestly, if people like that didn't do that, then so many more people would lose their lives um, and lose their belongings and um, stuff like that in these situations. So, yeah. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Peyton. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Inez and Nathan, and you, the listeners, for showing up. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store, and follow us on Spotify.